0: Everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are Andrew Hardware. Jeff Kanata, and joining us today, she's a writer at Pajiba.com, Christy Puchko. Christy, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today, Christy?
1: I'm good. I'm excited to be back.
0: It's great to have you back, Christy. And you know, uh, I want to say that uh, basically, uh, the reviews of Christy have been amazing. People really seem to like you. Uh, and we really enjoyed having you on. We think the insights you bring to the show are great. So, uh, Christy will be on fairly regularly uh, for the next few months. So, uh, really looking forward to having Christy on as a as a quasi regular part of the show. So you can look forward to having her perspective. Um, we may do a little bit of like you know rotating. Like sometimes I might not be here and Christy mm-hmm. will be. Sometimes Christy won't be here and someone else will be. You know, so on. Um, but yeah, uh, Christy will be. A a fairly regular part of the show for the next few months. We're really, really psyched for that. So welcome aboard, Christy. Really appreciate you uh, you joining us.
1: Thanks. I basically have found my way into the crawl space and refused to leave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I we should say that uh, overwhelming
2: amount of, of requests for, for you to be back and on more frequently and, and we it's heard been very you guys...
1: flattering. A lot of people have tagged me. <laughs> It's
2: awesome, and uh, we we love talking to you. We've loved you being on the show, and we're so glad that your schedule allows that to happen. And we're we're really excited to have you be a more a more frequent uh, member of the team.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. I don't think I mentioned this to any of you, but before I even got into blogging, like I listened to this show religiously. Oh, um, oh. and it was. Yeah, it was actually know really know influential when I started doing this. I I don't think I've ever told Davinder even this. Like Davinder and I hang out. Oh my god, are you a secret like,
3: stalker, Christine? <laughs> a
1: little. Bit. There was one time. This is going to get weird. Now I'm gonna. Uh-huh. i no longer on the show. Oh, but boy. there was one time I went to go see a movie, and I forget which one it was. And I could hear your voice, so I knew you were in the theater, and I got like really like <laughs> excited. But I was I was like Davinder Hardware. I was here, but I like didn't <laughs> I didn't like want to seek you out because I thought it was way too weird. I didn't Aww. know you yet, and I thought it was gonna be really weird to be like oh listen to your podcast. So I didn't do that. But That's we met
2: eventually. I also.
3: By the way, if anybody hears me in New York, because I get this sometimes too, when I'm on Twitter and leaving theaters, say hello. This is totally fine. Yeah, that's I like was, a podcaster's
2: like, dream is to somebody yeah. heard
3: me
0: and recognized me. Well, I, was, hey, I this am here. Me. Yes, exactly.
1: Well, it was like at the time I was working behind the scenes on mostly commercials. Um, So, like the idea of like what you guys did just seems so untouchable. So, um, yeah, this is a very exciting day for me. Now it's touchable. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: well, that that is so cool. Believe in me.
0: It it, it is so cool. The circle is complete. You know that uh, the student has become the teacher. uh, (laughs) All that stuff. It's all. It's all amazing, and it just. It just goes to show, you know, dream people dream, and you too one day uh, may be able to appear somewhat regularly on a mid-tier podcast. Um, So... Uh, well, Christy, really excited to have you on uh, somewhat regularly, and also to have you on today. What we're going to be doing today, folks, is the uh, last few weeks have been kind of weird for the Slash Filmcast. Typically, we get, bring you some what we've been watching, some film news, and then a main review, but uh, we had on a, uh, we had a Black Mirror episode a couple weeks ago where we just did Black Mirror. Then we had Ryan Johnson, director of Star Wars The Last Jedi, on last week on the podcast, so... Just has been like a lot of stuff going on, and there's just a huge backlog of what we've been watching uh, and film news. And we're just not going to be able to get to it all today. We're not going to be able to get to all the film news. We're not going to be able to talk about the Oscars really today. Uh, and so I would recommend you check out Slash film Daily at com. They got uh, daily film news for you. They got Oscar reactions for you. So check that out for some of the film news. But today we're going to be Dave, doing
2: – you say that like it's such a negative. Thing. We're not going to be able to do all – we have so much to talk about yeah, I... that – we have lots to talk about in this episode. It'll, it'll spill over into following episodes. We'll be talking about the Oscars when they happen. It's it's a positive thing. It's not a negative
0: Oh, I wasn't trying to make it a negative thing. I'm sorry. It's been a like long we just day. Can't, we can't do it. We can't talk about it. We can't. It, we can't, it. We can't. I'm, I'm trying to say we can't because it's such a bounty of riches, Jeff. Exactly. Uh, in any case, uh, today we're going to be discussing some what we've been watching and then d- diving into Paul Thomas Anderson's newest film, Phantom Thread. So that's what we'll be covering today. On the Slash Guest. But before we get to that, I uh, want to just mention one thing real quick. Uh, the last episode we had, episode 451, we had Ryan Johnson uh, back on the podcast. And that was a thrill because, I mean, I'll, I'll just say on a personal level, uh, any podcaster or interviewer or whatever, I think, dreams to be in an interview where they are advancing along the cultural conversation about a specific topic. Uh, and I feel like uh, Ryan Johnson you know generously gave of his time and shared with us a lot about the creation of Star Wars Last Jedi. And uh, we were just so fortunate to have that happen. What was also fascinating was seeing all the write-ups of uh the interviews. And I I felt like uh some of the write-ups were really pretty accurate and very fair. Uh, but it, I also felt like Some of the write-ups were I, I just felt like I, I wasn't sure If they clearly represented The tone of the conversation Right
3: Now, now you know how Everybody making movies feels Right When bloggers write yes. about them I guess Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. for sure. on the other <laughs> side Of the curtain for once you know. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, I don't know if for once I mean I think It's certainly something You've seen before But But uh, Yeah I think That You know There were do- literally Dozens of headlines About uh, The interview And Uh, like I said, many of them are fair, but I think the ones that were unfair were things that said like, you know, the headline is, Ryan Johnson doesn't feel bad at all about star wars last jedi or, or like he wouldn't change a thing and it, it's like very kind of in it yeah. like written in a defiant this way, heartless like,
3: bastard doesn't mind crushing your childhood
0: dream exactly yeah. yeah like that was he very much the tone right um yeah. when if you listen to the episode it is i feel it is mm-hmm. so thoughtful and so yeah. gracious considerate Yeah, uh, yeah considerate like he at every turn he was like look I, I am not trying to say that if you disliked the, the movie, that like I'm not in any way invalidating your thought. Know, he he made very clear like that he was mm-hmm. um he was not trying to invalidate anyone's opinion or hurt feelings about it. Uh he did it to a much greater extent than I personally would have if I was in his position. And so I was a little bit disappointed to see that a lot of the reaction was uh about how you know that he was unrepentant in his decisions, and f the people who don't agree, I did not feel that accurately characterized the conversation at all. It is um, such
2: a a view into headline culture, right? And and uh, movies and entertainment in general is such an unimportant relative <laughs> topic, uh, but it it is only one small thing that is affected by headline culture. It uh, permeates. Uh, the modern discourse uh, I think unfortunately but it's also interesting to me how as many of the articles were written as if like the writer did some real investigative journalism (laughs) you know and just like I tracked down this
3: figured it out
2: this quote from (laughs) Ryan Johnson and I'm gonna blast it across here I found it myself and it's amazing that I did this it's like and there's no mention of this larger context of a two-hour-long conversation that it's plucked from that maybe people would be interested in knowing and hearing. Uh, it's it's an odd thing, blog culture.
0: Yeah, it, said it,
2: the guy talking on the podcast from the blog.
1: <laughs> but I mean, it is because it's you know. I mean, I, I say this all the time when I try to explain what I do to people. Like the or when I that sounds weird when I'm explaining to people what I do for a living. <laughs> that's better. Uh, I I try to explain that the internet's like the Wild West. So, like, people coming into blogging don't necessarily have a background on how this stuff works. And so you get things that are get totally separated from their source material and things that get taken totally out of context. And what's frustrating about that is that when you do strive to put things in context, people write everybody off because someone did it wrong. You know what I mean? So it's, like, it's not just sort of something that's frustrating from the filmmaker's perspective or from you guys' perspective where you take it out of context, but even for someone who, like, I wasn't involved in that episode, but it's frustrating for me because I think it makes what we do it, it bases what we do
0: right yeah i, I think the one that I, I was most upset about the headline that i was most upset about was uh io9 uh, or gizmodo uh this article by james whitbrook where he says ryan johnson explains another major last jedi moment that didn't actually need explaining and it, it was about ryan's discussion of the holdo maneuver and he was answering a question that I had asked him about it. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like he was volunteering that information. Like Ryan Johnson was volunteering that right. information unilaterally. I had asked him this question. You know, you can criticize me for asking the question. That's fine, yeah. but don't you know criticize I think him. think we for- also
3: emphasize? <laughs> even asking that was like the nitpick section, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tongue in yeah. cheek too. So like context, people,
0: context. Yeah. Uh, you know, to, to be fair, like we, we did publish at Slash Home a lot of, uh, uh, material from the interview before the full conversation had been released, but I did feel that that was a particularly like uncharitable mm. headline about the conversation. So, Anyway, um, we may have some new listeners around this week. And I just wanted to say, uh, despite all that stuff, welcome. Uh, We hope you enjoyed that conversation. And uh, we have conversations about movies every week. So I hope you're listening to this episode as well and enjoying uh, a conversation about the movies you've seen recently and Phantom Thread coming up. Find more episodes at slashfilmcast.com. And, uh, yeah, just wanted to, again, say thanks to Ryan Johnson for for, for joining us. And, you know, I, I tweeted this. Today, but I uh, told a couple people that I know about this interview, and one of them tried to find it and just Googled Ryan Johnson and David Chen. And the first result, or one of the first results, was a YouTube clip that is just like harvested the audio from an episode from uh, probably seven <laughs> or eight years ago, that is Ryan Johnson just ruthlessly ridiculing me for being a part of a high school a cappella group,
3: and nothing um, has changed. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, nothing has changed. It's, it's just uh, people. You know, I, I think a lot of people were really impressed with the genial nature of the conversation, you know, that felt like a few friends just hanging out talking about Star Wars Last Jedi. Well, it comes through years of mockery of my acapella ways, I think is really uh, <laughs> what I'm trying to communicate. So anyway, thanks for all for, who listened to that uh, conversation, who gave us feedback. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, but let's move on to what we have been watching. Devendra Hardwar, you've been watching a few things, right?
3: Yeah, a bunch of things. We have like, what, three weeks of uh, backup at this point, so I've yeah, got this- a lot
0: to spill this episode yeah. is like
2: the fiber of our, uh, <laughs> of our, what we've been watching. Yeah, we yeah.
3: are our muscle, and we are ready. <laughs> ready to flush. Um, I've been watching a lot of TV. I've been checking out the second season of American Crime Story. Uh, this is uh, the one about Gianni Versace and it's quite good uh d- just want to say that i loved the oj um you know season last year and this one i you know i didn't really know much about the story um and the assassination and anything really about andrew kanan and you know this happened what after oj right there were, this was all a big 90s thing but i it was totally outside of my orbit of anything i cared about uh, but this show is really fascinating uh, mainly because it's uh, very well written uh, like the first season um, and also incredibly well acted to Edgar Ramirez stars as Gianni Versace and uh, what's his name? Darren Criss, who is from Glee,
0: plays mm-hmm. Andrew
3: Kananen, the serial murderer guy. And it's really uh, honestly, the show is kind of his because it's all about like his motivation and what's going on with him and how this sociopath kind of gets to the point. You know, the, the show opens with the assassination sequence and it kind of goes back and forth in time. And I, I think he's just like. The character is fascinating. Uh, Chris does a good job of portraying him. Um, The show itself, uh, it honestly is kind of uh, related to the Phantom Thread, too. Like, just about the ideas of design and style, although the show hasn't even really delved too much into that. Um, It explores. In many ways, it feels like a lens into the '90s, just like the O.J. show. So there's a lot of uh, talk about gay culture in the '90s and how different things were. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, uh, I feel like, gossip culture or celebrity culture back then too, because you know, Versace was this, you know, world-renowned designer who lived in a villa on in Miami, like in a villa that was basically facing, you know, the main uh, the main beach road. So, like, people would walk by and see him every day, too. It's and, just like, they would talk to people,
1: which is something. Yeah. He, he yeah.
3: was, like, a local. He he Yeah, he was a presence there. So, I think all that's pretty fascinating. One thing I found really interesting, too, about this show is that uh, they cast uh, Latino leads as Italians. And I think that's kind of fascinating uh, just because this is something I pay attention to. Uh, typically, in a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows, uh, for some reason, they cast Italian actors, as uh as latino characters and that is you know that that is whitewashing that is not generally great um so i think edgar ramirez who i think should be a bigger star does a great job here uh penelope cruz plays uh donatella versace ricky martin is here as uh you know his uh boyfriend as well i think ricky martin gives a good performance as well i think he's yeah, been in a I didn't couple recognize movies him yeah.
1: for like an yeah. episode and a half and then i was like oh my god <laughs> he we, still looks we know amazing. him
3: I recognize those hips. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. That was so it. the show, a the show little is little. quite good. There's a lot going on here, and I think it's definitely worth watching. If you liked uh, the last season of American Crime Story, you'll definitely like this one. And uh, moving on, also another Ryan Murphy show, 911 on Fox. This guy, you know, is just taking over television. This is what we he does. Uh, so yet another Ryan Murphy show. This one is this show is ridiculous. This show is like if uh, Law and Order. Had like three or four different uh, crises to resolve within a single episode. That's pretty much what it is. It's about, um, you know, a 911 dispatcher and the people who have to like uh, respond to those emergencies. So, first responders, firefighters, and also cops. Um, It's honestly a show I would typically ignore, but the cast is amazing. Uh, Angela Bassett plays uh, the cop, like a hard ass, experienced cop. Peter Krause is one of the um, first
0: responders in the show. I I heard the first episode features a baby being flushed in the toilet,
3: baby flushed down the toilet Mm. in the wall. The
0: second episode features
3: a, um, like your worst nightmare loop de loop, uh, you know, um, Roller coaster. If if it stops halfway, like what do you do? How do you save <laughs> oh, people God. from that? And
1: I hear a Every, lot of this is real cases.
3: Yeah, from from what I hear, yes. Uh, certainly not in the way it's portrayed, and doesn't happen as often as it does. Uh, <laughs> I in, hope in this that show. like half the show is just them
2: people calling in f- because their cable is out or something. <laughs> That's what real nine one one operators have to deal oh, with yeah. is like I'm all the sure. like crap and waste of their time.
3: The first episode has baby in the wa- baby flushing down the toilet. Uh, has women being choked by her boa constrictor or something like that like very very like things that look good on tv Ed, but, uh, but edge, edge
0: cases in real life edge likely. cases yeah
3: but it, it is completely ridiculous but i love these actors um and the show like just goes completely for the ludicrousity of it all so it is sort of like peak procedural in a way like i think like yeah with uh, law and order one of these plots would be an entire episode or something and certainly they wouldn't reach to such ludicrous heights as this show uh, it's a lot of fun to watch it it's not a good show. It's not well written, <laughs> um, but it is really, really fun to watch because of how crazy it gets. So just want to throw that Man, out there.
2: Even Kraus yeah. can't get me to watch this. I, I love the Kraus. Yeah.
3: I go to, I'll, I'll follow Kraus to I, the ends of I the earth. I think you but... would. I think you uh. would like this, Jeff. Like Peter Krauss in full on like hero mode. Like Peter uh, Kraus, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna save you from this burning building. I'm gonna stop you from jumping off a roof. <laughs> like, just great, Peter Kraus. And I love my, my Kraus. just like yeah. Lopez said, "Just being a badass cop, like take no shit, uh, taking down criminals. Like it, it is the melding of like cop and fire. We have we've had like one firefighter procedural, uh, uh, but it's the melding of like all these things into one show with uh, like Ryan Murphy's like I don't know. He has a good sense of what makes good TV. Um, so it's all of that compact into one thing. Um, Why
2: watch peak? the police show and the firefighter exactly. show and the hospital show when you can exactly
3: go, one stop shopping?" It is really hard to go from this show to, like, rewatching some of ER, which I've been doing. Uh, ER is still, like, really methodical <laughs> and really well-written and very, like, purposeful about everything it does. This show is like, fuck, baby, baby flush down the toilet. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm, go I'm, I'm looking at an episode, like uh, a recap on uprocks.com uh-huh. of GIFs uh, from the first yep. episode of the show, and it, it, it looks incredible. I mean it's, – It's pretty it, great. <laughs> it looks insane. So that's 911. It's on Fox, 9-1-1. I think, right? Yeah. And yep. it, you also saw a uh, assassination of, of Gianni Versace, which is on yeah. FX, American By Crime the Story, the coward Andrew Cannanen. Yes. Yep. Um, and we also else you want saw
3: to? the the end of the fucking world or effing world, which is on Netflix right now. Um, this is a show about a kind of a kid who is probably a young Dexter, maybe something like that. Like he he feels like he's a <laughs> budding serial killer, so he really wants to kill people, and he sort of teams up or gets in a relationship with this girl who is sort of, uh, they're both teenagers. Uh, and the girl is just like um, trying to be too cool for school, trying to pretend like she's very strong. Like, I think very teenage responses to the world around them. And they go off on an adventure. They get, they basically run away from home, go off on a road trip. So there are shades of like true romance and a bunch of things here. Uh, just want to show, I, I love this show. Uh, it is definitely gory at times, um, but it's surprisingly sweet. I think surprisingly adept at really locating teenage anxieties and things that every teenager would feel about not fitting in. And e- even though one, you know, the main kid believes he's a murderer, uh, it's a lot deeper than that. Uh, it's based on a graphic novel, definitely worth watching. Um, yeah, especially if you like Dexter, weird things. Yeah.
2: It's, uh, Netflix's answer to young
0: Sheldon.
3: Yeah, like young, pretty much Dexter. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. Um, quick shout out to Star Trek Discovery. Uh, which Wait, so came hold on. I just couple, want to make sure yeah.
0: we repeat the name. Uh, end of the effing world, and it's on end Netflix. End of the effing world. Yeah, it's on yes. Netflix right now. Go ahead. Sorry.
3: On Netflix, uh, quick shout out to Star Trek Discovery, which came back a couple weeks ago as well. This show, Dave, what What are you doing? You I, need to be, you need to watch this show. I've, yeah, this I've, show heard it, I've heard it's good. Okay, crazy. guys. I'm going to watch it
2: too. I just am not going to subscribe to an entirely new thing just to watch sure,
3: it. sure, sure. I mean, it's I, I, I'm doing uh, it because it's part of what I do. But
0: Divindra, yeah. the plan is wait until all the episodes are live, yeah. and then pay Binge eight dollars and let watch me, them let me tell all you guys in this. one fell swoop. That
3: is Binge not that a good shit. plan. That is not a good plan <laughs> because every single episode of the show has like some crazy ass twist that works really well and really like the characters are great, but they've just been like twisting who the characters are and the narrative and the setting of the show all around the place. And, uh, you know, if you wait to catch up, you'll probably hear you'll probably get to a lot of things spoiled. Let me just put it that way, because there seems like a big thing happens in every episode, even this most recent episode, too. Um, I can't really say anything without spoiling it. Uh, just want to say I'm really enjoying the show uh, worth checking out. If you're a Star Trek fan, my wife is a big Trekkie and she really enjoys how, you know, where the show is going, basically.
0: All right. That's uh, Star Trek Discovery. And I think it's on mm-hmm. CBS All Access. Yes. Uh, so yeah. Uh, which, by the way, I recently found out you can get through Amazon channels. So yes. if you don't want to re- like subscribe to a whole new thing, just you know. Well, you're still subscribing to things. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just slightly, the interface is slightly easier. Uh, small yeah. plug for Amazon there for you. Anyway. Yep.
3: Uh And Davindra, anything else you're watching? One, one last thing. Uh, I saw this film called The Insult, uh, which is Lebanon's uh, Oscar contender this year, I believe. Um the the film is great. Uh the real reason I went to see it is because the Lincoln Plaza cinema closed yesterday or on Sunday in New York. And you know, that's uh I just want to go to that place. Uh I think I first went there around the time I first moved to New York in two thousand nine. Um so it just felt fitting to go there on its last day and see it close down. The movie itself is you know, it's really good. It's a great drama about the sort of like cultural and religious divides that Lebanon is facing. Um, It's pretty much a great courtroom drama, even though it starts with like the dumbest smallest thing. And it just escalates to the, to something that ends up being like a national uh, story. Uh, But I found it really compelling, great leads, great performances and definitely a great movie to see in that theater because this is the sort of movie that Lincoln Plaza cinema, uh, even in New York, a city with a lot of theaters, Um, you know, a lot most theaters would not show a movie like this and yeah i don't know what's going to happen between this and um the landmark sunshine another independent theater which shut down last week that's within two weeks two of the most like iconic new york indie theaters have shut down uh it is it's a shame yeah and a lot of it's due to rent too because it was uh, in both cases the leases were not renewed uh, for lincoln plaza i believe the lease wasn't renewed because the building had to undergo some maintenance or something but yeah, just just a sad thing, and for these institutions that have been around for a while, uh, just sad to see them go. If you have a local indie theater, you know, visit it once in a while, show it some love, buy some popcorn, because uh, they won't be around forever.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, the movie is the insult, and you went to yes. see it at Lincoln Plaza Theater, and uh, people might not. If you're not from New York, you might not know that like Lincoln Plaza uh, Cinema is a legendary art house theater, right? It's like one of the mm-hmm. iconic art house theaters and it is a huge bummer uh that is closed down uh movie industry as a whole guys, not doing very well uh i we haven't been able able to really talk about this because we haven't had a film news segment recently but yeah uh matt zoller cites the the film critic tweeted today he he went on a little tweet storm about this uh and it really broke my heart reading it but it's 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 really uh a, a good indication of where things are he writes Quote, How did we get to this point where theatrical is almost completely inhospitable to anyone but tentpole blockbuster directors, most of whom are doing glorified work for hire? It's immensely complicated and a lot of factors are to blame, but this is the reality now. There are a lot of filmmakers who want to work in the feature format, 90 minutes to three hours length, shown on a large or largest screen to paying customers. But the film industry and exhibitors are increasingly not interested in that with some specific exceptions. Uh, And news also broke recently a couple weeks ago that U.S. movie ticket sales in 2017 were the lowest they have been in 25 years Uh, And that is really bad. I mean, you'll hear like, oh, this is a record-breaking year for the box. Like, made more money this year than ever before. Uh, Some factors contributing to that, you know, 3D, IMAX, uh, inflation, another big one. Uh, But when you talk about tickets sold, and it's the lowest it's been in 25 years – that is not the sign of a thriving industry. You know that is a sign of an industry in decline. Uh, and it, like, consider consider how much the population of the United States has grown in 25 years. And consider that ticket sales basically are stagnant from 25 years until now. Uh, I mean, not sta- like it's obviously fluctuated, but I'm just saying like the the number from 25 years till now uh, is the same. It's it's just shocking to consider. So. Uh, not a great time. Not a great time, and we're seeing signs mm-hmm. of it all around us. It's it's very sad. So, I think you know, uh, the the advice that Devendra has, right? See see movies in art house theaters. Support them like that. Uh, I, I completely agree because we have no idea yeah. how long you get to see a movie like The Insult in theaters. Uh, and so take it while For you sure. can. Take it while you and can. And also right.
3: buying popcorn, buying concessions at those theaters <laughs> actually makes a makes a world of difference. Don't don't sneak in food if it's like an indie theater that you know is struggling or something like that, that is how you support these things too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My first job ever was actually at an independent (laughs) theater in my hometown. And there were only two theaters in my hometown. There was the teeny tiny independent theater that only had two places to show movies, two individual theaters. And then like the one at the, up at the mall that had all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. like for years that theater has been kind of plugging along, but it like only exists because like the local people make an effort to go there and make it up because if they don't, the big mall theater is not going to show You know, like, I remember one of my big responsibilities when I worked there was um, explaining to people what Life is Beautiful was about, because (laughs) it was a foreign film. And no, but I mean, like, it was a small town. So, you know, a lot of these people weren't going to see foreign films because that's not really what they did. And like the idea of having to read a movie was like a thing. And like, you know, I mean, that. That theater had a huge shape on who I was, not just because of, you know, it being um, my first job, but also because it was where I saw a lot of stuff I wasn't going to see somewhere else. Um, And I think part of the problem today is that there's such an accessibility with the Internet that people just figure, well, I'll just watch it at home. And I understand that. And I also understand people not wanting to go to the theater when so many of the theaters are getting increasingly kind of gross. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, the sticky popcorn, whatever. And it's like, especially with the prices going up on theater tickets, like I always kind of feel like if I'm paying sixteen dollars for a ticket, can you at least make sure that my seat doesn't stink or doesn't have gum on it, or you know what I'm saying? There's just like a disconnect between the theaters. Act like, well, there's no other party in town. And you're like, no, there literally are thousands because <laughs> yeah. there's all these streaming services. So I think that's a big problem. Is that like the theaters themselves? I think have have created a disconnect, and like you see in smaller chains where they make it more of an experience that those are doing well, even in the the light of all this, but it's Mm -hmm. like the bigger chains that seem to be really suffering. And like, even the big block blockbuster movies aren't enough because there's so many big spectacle movies a year. How many are people really going to go pay to see?
0: Indeed, indeed. Yeah, and uh, Matt Zoller tweets here uh, to your point, Chrissy. When you pay X number of dollars a month for internet access and phone service, paying $20 for one person's first-run movie experience, more if you include parking and babysitting, etc., starts to seem ridiculous unless you're a hardcore cinephile who's chosen that monkish life as I have. And when I read that tweet, I thought… We've all chosen that monkey's life, guys. Yeah, we, all, we feel all, seen. All, yeah. all of us here are the yeah. Slash Film Guest. Um, <laughs> so, right, but
1: also we have an advantage where a lot of times we get to go to press screenings.
0: That is true. That mm-hmm. is true. Uh, and but, like,
1: those are usually at nicer theaters.
0: I've been paying for a lot of my movies recently, though. Actually, uh, like we've had a lot of daytime press screenings, but yes, your point is taken, Christy, That mm-hmm. that uh, we we are very lucky. Uh, but I think the, the truth of the matter is, I think uh, even if we didn't get press screenings, we'd probably still uh, su- try to suffer through the uh, theatrical experience. You know,
1: sure, but um, I certainly resent it when, like, you know, friends. I won't name names, but there's a movie coming out this week that is not screening for press, so I'm going to have to go see it at public theater, mm. and I'm a little annoyed because I don't know which theaters it's going to be showing at, and they're definitely theaters in new manhattan and stuff that i just think are gross and don't want to go to yeah
0: yeah all right let's move on but guys i need to call an audible okay mm-hmm. uh I, I originally wasn't going to participate in today's what we've been watching but i remember <laughs> this email i got <laughs> from uh, uh, I, I, I got this email from this guy who shall remain nameless because he was extremely rude uh in his email to slash from guest gmail.com. and i think if you're extremely rude You don't get to get your name right on the air.
2: We'll call him, Um, I don't know, you can call him Blef.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This guy uh, wrote to us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. The uh, subject line of the email was Jumanji, Jumanji, Jumanji. And he writes, Dear SlashFilm, while you are busy devoting four podcasts to The Last Jedi, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle has quietly made more money than Skyfall to become Sony Pictures' biggest non-Spider-Man movie ever. Can you please stop sucking Ryan Johnson's dick long enough to acknowledge this remarkable achievement?
3: Oh,
2: man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, guys. There's a lot of dick sucking I need to do.
0: <laughs> I don't know
2: if I have time for this.
0: So, uh, yeah. Uh, so I went to see Jumanji. Uh, in fact, I went to go see it at the Cinebar in uh, Linwood uh-huh. with my fiance, which is a uh, a theater where food is brought to you and placed in front of you for you to consume during the film. Very nice. And it was a great experience. Like, I, I enjoyed the food. But, you know,. Uh, I wouldn't want that experience for every movie, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't want to have uh, someone wandering around in the darkness looking for a check uh, when I'm watching Phantom Thread. Do you know what I'm saying? But right. for Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, that is that is the perfect movie to watch while food is being you know waited and served to you. You don't mind hearing people chew, Manji?
2: If someone if someone or, or orders Ow, a, some Jeff. food and a brew, Manji? I
0: feel like we need a timeout. Mm, yeah, I think we need <laughs> a timeout <laughs> like for this. you, for you, Jeff. Um, no, wait, I, don't someone, I don't mind if someone. I don't mind if someone I was trying to do a French thing there. Okay. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah um, manja. I got Yeah, go, I yeah,
0: yeah like Manja. I don't mind okay. if someone Jumanja Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Jeff, it's look, you you, got, you threw me off my game, Jeff. You threw me off my game.
3: Dave, this is Alamo Drafts House entire mo. Yeah, it's funny that that's what you're complaining about. Although it's something I brought up too. Like for a theater that will kick you out if you if you talk or do something, you know that that you know is against their rules. Their actual service, like the thing that they do throughout the entire film, uh, I find more disruptive. Sometimes that's
1: so funny. Yeah. I I've never had that problem at Alamo, uh, but again, I forgot to mention the theater I mentioned before that I grew up working at. Uh, we did that. But not as successfully. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, it was like we also had these long before Alamo, mind you. The, well, actually, I don't know if that's true. But we had these long bench tables in front of people and we had um, candles that lit up oh, that boy. like, yeah, like the little flashlight ones with different colors. So it was a very imperfect system. And we didn't have the the area between the seats and the table. So I just had to step over people. Oh, <laughs> my go. God.
2: Yeah. That sounds awful. So.
1: admittedly maybe it it was an imperfect system um (laughs) you're sitting in the center
2: of of an aisle you are not allowed to order food (laughs) yeah it was kind of
1: we kind of hoped people would not do that um and then the other weird thing was that um you were basically doing the job of a ticket person and a waiter but um no one tipped because it wasn't really a restaurant even though we're serving you food so um that was fun for minimum wage jobs times um but yeah I've never had that issue like I I've seen a lot of stuff at Alamo I covered Fantastic Fest and I go mm-hmm. down for South by so I've seen a lot of stuff there and I've gone occasionally to the Brooklyn one here um I don't know it doesn't really bother me yeah. I think cuz I've uh, they've always been pretty good about darting in and out and like more that I just get distracted by the menu cuz I'm like what else could I get
3: <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm I'm honestly fine with that. I just it's that inherent sort of like disconnect i guess or hypocrisy between their their like be silent at all times thing and the potential for disruption and when they were starting out you would certainly i just uh, but dave dave how's your thing
0: i remember i saw a tweet that sent a chill down my spine i I don't remember who i think it was i might have been jason bailey that tweeted this or something i don't i'm apologize i i don't mean to misattribute but um I, i remember someone tweeted you know alamo draft house like love you doing what you do but during Atomic Blonde, you do not drop a check during the hallway fight scene.
3: Yes. Uh,
0: what? I, I, I remember seeing that, that tweet and just I just I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't think I could ever risk it. Yeah, that. that's fair. You know? Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> they need like the equivalent of that P app but it's like, you
0: know, <laughs> oh,
3: when to, yeah. w- like when
2: when to order can... the Buffalo Wings
0: <laughs> <laughs> Instead of run pee, it's run to the Buffalo Wings. Okay, anyway, yeah. Jumanji welcome to the Jungle, guys. I'm trying to get through this in one minute. Um, so uh, it's pretty good. I don't know if you guys know the plot of the movie, but it, it's, it's basically a, a remake of the Robin Williams movie. You know, it's, it's closer to the Robin Williams film than it is to uh, the book which was very thin and, and didn't have that much of a premise. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of a remake. It's updated for modern day, where basically these kids play this video game and are sucked into the video game. And then when they get sucked into the video game, they uh, take on the characters in the video game who are portrayed by like The Rock and uh, Karen Gillen and Kevin Hart and Jack Black. Uh, that sounds
2: Absolutely nothing like the Robin Williams version. Oh, oh, uh, yeah.
0: Well, so I mean, what's similar is that they're stuck in this game and they have to try get out, basically. Right, um, but
2: isn't the Robin Williams version a a board game and B it he doesn't get sucked into it? It comes into his world, right?
0: Um, no, he gets sucked into uh, it.
1: In yeah, no, he gets like sucked into years. it.
0: He gets sucked into All it. Right. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. just
1: don't see that part.
0: And wow. without, without giving anything away, I'll just say that there are some pretty significant callbacks to the Robin Williams version. So, uh, so, I
1: think it's really good. I just missed the screening in December and have not gotten around to catching yeah, up like it. Yeah, I'd like to see it. Actually.
0: It is it is highly enjoyable, guys. It's a, it's a great crowd pleaser. And it's also a movie that's made over $770 million worldwide. Uh, and this is a movie that kind of went up against uh, uh, Last Jedi, like kind of dethroned Last Jedi, which... Uh, I'll be honest, guys. Uh, I, you know, obviously really enjoyed The Last Jedi, but Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, like, if, if I had a family of, you know, three kids or whatever, and I had to go to see a movie, like, I would probably choose Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle instead of Star Wars the Last Jedi, just because uh, it's, like, a, a much uh, more accessible film. You know, it's not a challenging film in the way that the Last Jedi is. It's a it's really accessible crowd-pleaser. It's very funny. It's broad. Uh, and you get to see these uh, famous stars like The Rock acting like teenagers because, you know, teenagers are kind of like in their bodies, you know what I mean? Um, This is
2: not, this is really hard to reconcile with all this ryan johnson fellatio i've been doing uh, i yeah indeed
0: indeed it's very
1: <laughs> yeah i was reasons. gonna say i can't wait for the headline that's like dave Chen this is ryan johnson <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: not a diss at all not a diss at all but it's also great to see uh, jake kazdan uh who made walk hard the dewey cox story a movie that bombed horribly Man. um and classic, a classic yeah fan amazing fan. movie that's on netflix this month uh but it's great to see him come back with this incredibly successful movie like it's Over three hundred thirty-seven domestic, uh, it is just—it's still going. So our theater was packed, guys, and it's like five weeks after release. So I have to ask, though, Dave, did you go because of this email?
3: <laughs> because I would say if if you send us if you send me anything like that that is not yeah. a way to get me to listen to what you're I saying like fuck right. off no yeah, that. yeah would <laughs> just, like,
1: that would not make me be like I'm going to see you're encouraging your them Dave
0: <laughs> no it it uh, I did not go because of that email but I good, you know good. I it was an incidental it, it, you know it was a, the movie theater was showing like I and Phantom Thread and I'm like okay. I've already seen all those. Plus, I don't want to see them while eating anything. Jumanji, it is. <laughs> I, I, I will also would say be this: great while eating something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> good, good call. I will also say one last thing, which is, which is: uh, we've seen a bunch of uh, recently. We've seen a bunch of great video game movies that aren't based on video games. Um, so I'm thinking hardcore Henry, I'm thinking edge of tomorrow, Tomorrow. right? Uh, these mimic the mechanics of video games in a lot of ways without actually being based on a video game. Uh, Jumanji now joins that pantheon, I think of great video game movies that aren't based on video games. Um, and I think if you, if you like video games, you will really enjoy how this movie tackles, uh, some of the video game mechanics. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Really, a lot of fun, and I can understand why it is such a huge success. So that's oh, how Jumanji. We've
3: forgotten Assassin's Creed. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. And, and yeah,
0: and for good reason. Yeah, for good reason. movie happened, right. Jumanji, welcome to the jungle. It's, it's out in theaters my right now. Soul. <laughs> 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 it ruined Michael Fassbender for you, Christy. Um,
1: <laughs> Almost. Uh,
0: okay, Jeff. What have you been watching this week?
2: Oh, so much, Dave. I'm so glad we have tons of time to talk about it all because yep. I have a lot. Uh, let's start with the most recent thing. I saw the new Netflix movie, uh, A Futile and Stupid Gesture. Uh, this is the story of, oh man, I had it on my screen and a lot. The guy's name. Um, the story of, of the starting of um, Harvard the Lampoon. National Lampoon. Hmm?
0: Yeah, the, the National Lampoon at Harvard, right?
2: Yes, the National Lampoon at Harvard, but
0: then transitioning. It's really a, the story of, of
2: um, what's his name? Um, hang on a second. Let me find it. Doug Kenny.
0: Doug, Doug Kenny. Doug Kenny. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, it is
2: the story of Doug Kenny and how he and his writing partner founded the National Lampoon magazine, uh, which was a offshoot of the Harvard Lampoon that they uh, helped write during their tenure at Harvard. But then they launched it into the National Lampoon and then parlayed that into writing uh, National Lampoon's Animal House and the Caddyshack movies. Um, there was actually a, a documentary I mentioned uh, on the Slash Film Cast uh, months ago uh, about this very topic, and this is the the narrative film um, ab- about that. And part of the fun of this movie is watching the cast play people that you are intimately familiar with: uh, Chevy Chase and Gilda Radner and uh, John Belushi, and all of the people you would expect to show up are played by sort of equally famous people now. And that's kind of the fun. And this movie actually does a lot of really, uh, fun, clever things with narrative. It is, it is a movie about parody and it's sort of parodying itself at the same time. I don't want to spoil anything, but there are some narrative, flourishes that are uh, really clever and really fun, especially if you don't know the true story of, of these, these people. Um, It's directed by David Wayne. It stars um, uh, a whole bunch of people, you know, including Will Forte as the, as the main character. I, I liked it. I did not love it, but I liked it. I thought it was a really smartly done um, it's constantly commenting on itself. For example, at one point, um, there is a moment where they're hiring the crew that's going to be part of the National Lampoon writing team. And it's sort of like this assembling the Ocean's Eleven team. And somebody steps out and talks to the camera and goes, oh, yeah, we also hired like 14 other people. And here are their names. But this is a movie and we can't, we have to narrow down our characters. So Sorry. Reality. Oh, by the way, here's a list of other things we changed, and then like this huge list scrolls by the screen of like all of the stuff they changed, Uh, and it's stuff like that that happens throughout the movie that's constantly like poking fun at itself and twisting narrative on its head that I found so fun.
0: Cool. Did you and did you prefer it to the documentary? Uh, What was the name of the documentary? Do you remember that?
2: Uh, I think. It was uh, – no, I don't remember it. Um, I think it's also on Netflix though. Drunk, Stoned,
0: um, Brilliant, and Dead I think is, is what Yes, indeed. You saw Thank that you. as well, right?
2: I did, yeah. I, I much prefer that just because it's a documentary, right? You're actually getting real footage of these people. You're hearing the real bits, not people recreating them. Um, I found this to be a fun companion piece and a fun – it's just fun to see – Everybody trying to recreate those moments and uh, you know, f- actors now, trying to be actors then, uh, there's a, a charm to that. But as far as delivering the information, which I find to be very entertaining and interesting, the documentary is superior.
0: All right. That's a futile and stupid gesture. Jeff, what else have you been watching this week?
2: Uh, I watched uh, – with my wife, we watched uh, all the way through The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, which nice. is Amazon's award now award-winning – um, drama about a '50s housewife who becomes a stand-up comedian. I love this show. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, the performances are wonderful. There, this this show is like dripping with budget. It, you just see budget splashed across the screen. you mean, I mean production value. <laughs> I mean budget. I'm
1: just confused. Like if, like if you, it, I don't understand when you say that. If you mean like, it seems like it's low budget or high budget. I'm, I'm confused. High by budget. The context
2: I'm though. saying it you, you know how they say the money is on the screen. The okay. money is on the screen in this movie. They clearly it's, spent it's a, a period.
0: Lot. It's a period piece, right? So yes, but and they, it takes place in New
2: York. So it does, and they spared no expense, and it. I mean, the costuming is exquisite. the There are these wonderful. almost every episode starts with like a sort of short film that is stylized and grandiose and kind of incredible. There'll be these long takes, and some of them are almost musical numbers. and And just that alone is like, oh my God, they must have spent a fortune on that. And that's just like the first you know, forty eight seconds of a sh- of an episode. Um, it, it's It's really amazing. And uh, I appreciate that. I mean, it's beautifully shot. The period has been recreated with an amazing attention to detail. And it, on such a scale. I mean, they're they're these big, wide shots of New York City, these entire buildings that they've transformed. it's It's quite something. Um, I also love how theatrical this show is. It really doesn't back away from being, a very theatrical, stylized thing in and of itself. There are bits, self-contained bits. An example of one is uh, Tony Shalhoub plays uh, the father of the main character, Mrs. Meisel. And there's a scene where he is finding out some information about his daughter and he, he keeps leaving the room and thinking of something and coming back and going, okay. And then coming, thinking, leaving and coming back and saying a new thing and she tells him mm-hmm. and he goes, okay. And he Uses does a, him
3: so well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's like something you would see in a play. It's not something you normally see in grounded naturalistic television. You know, it is, it is very stylized, It's very over the top. And this show embraces that. And I, I adore that because I, I'm drawn to that kind of theatricality. Um, so that's a lot of fun. My criticisms are as somebody that has uh, is a big fan of stand-up comedy, is a student of stand-up comedy, has done a lot of stage comedy myself, it, it treats stand-up comedy like a superpower, <laughs> which is weird. Like she has this superpower where she just magically can get up and deliver a perfectly tight
1: <laughs> well, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I it, it like that. I thought of it like that moment when you realize you're really good at something. Like Think Goodwill Hunting when he says, "Like I could always just play." Like right. that's what it felt like to me. It was like I used to work in post production and production uh, and stuff like that on films, and then when I tripped into like writing about films, I was like, "Oh, this like." It all of a sudden made much more sense for me to be on that end. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's mm-hmm. what you're seeing in Mrs. Maisel is that moment of being like, maybe you're you're good at things, but when you find the thing that like really suits you, it's it's yeah. like unlocking. I guess like unlocking a superpower. I, I
3: think what uh, Jeff is saying, like Rachel Brosnahan I is so good. just a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Brosnahan is so good at those particular sets. It does feel mm-hmm. like a superpower in her hands. Like she, yeah, is. I get that. She
0: she also deserves, uh, yeah, also it's like, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like how in Glee, you know, like they, they would start singing and it would be perfectly <laughs> arranged and everyone knows their parts instantly. Did you guys rehearse it, this? Yeah, yeah. It's, just like, it's like those things are typically like, yeah, there might be a one in a billion, you know, prodigy that can do something uh, that requires a ton of practice really well on the first try. But in, in general, you know, people who are really good at comedy uh, agonize over every single moment mm-hmm. in the in their sets, you know. Well, um, yeah, and what's so
1: interesting is she has the raw talent, but then the show. I mean, as sh- I'm sure Jeff's about to say that the show is about very much about her learning kind of the ropes. Mm. Yes,
2: and I I appreciated that, but I think it portrays that learning. It's like it, it's like I would imagine somebody watching uh, the Karate Kid that has studied karate and going, that doesn't right. teach you karate, or yeah. you know, yeah. Whiplash <laughs> if you're an actual cool. drummer. And that's fine. It's totally sure, fine. Because,
1: you know, film is life without the boring shit. Yeah. Right. Or but should I, be.
2: Exactly. And no, there's nothing cinematic or fun about watching a person sit with a notepad yeah. and try to work out. It's a
3: joke. It, but... It's like comedy fan fiction in a way. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. like, Lenny Bruce just shows up and becomes an important character. Like, there are certain things He's you He's sort give of up deus to...
2: ex Bruce yeah. is what he is. It is it's Bruce.
0: Yeah, yeah it's perfect. So, Jeff, it sounds like you're a big fan. Of the marvelous I, I liked Maisel. it
2: a lot. With with a, you know in this kind of fantasy realm, mm. uh, but I I did enjoy watching it. It's the performances are very charming, and the show itself is easy to recommend. I'm very excited for a season two.
0: Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, that's the marvelous Miss Maisel, and it's on Amazon Prime Instant Streaming. Jeff, anything else you've been watching?
2: Well, one last thing I wanted to bring up while we're on the topic of uh, stand up comedy, uh, I had a chance to watch uh, one of the two new. Dave Chappelle specials, The Bird Revelation. Uh, There are two specials, and if you're not familiar, uh, both of them are on Netflix. Um, The Bird Revelation is the more, what's the word? Intimate. Uh, Intimate is certainly the word. Um, Reflexive. uh, It's it's less trying to be straight up comedy and more sort of sit down philosophy, I would say, Mm. Uh, although still very funny, I think. Um, Dave, I'm sure you have seen Oh, yeah, I've seen two. both of
0: them uh, multiple times, actually. So Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Dave Chappelle, as I believe you are as well, although I think you have more mixed feelings about him of late. Um,
0: that but, is, that uh, is exactly correct, yes. <laughs> uh,
2: I found The Bird Revelation to be absolutely essential watching, and I'm sure there are things that you will disagree about it, but I, I think as a work of art and as a work of sort of a guided... Uh, cultural meditation (laughs) Uh, it is uh incredible and it is a mind at work and challenging i mean the the first very first moment the first thing that happens in the bird revelation he says um uh, i'm gonna say some things and some of them are gonna be mean i'm not saying them to be mean i'm saying them to be funny sometimes the funniest thing to say is mean, and I and the, starting on that note, and going from there, it's a fascinating journey, and one I highly, highly recommend uh, people check out.
0: So, uh, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I don't even know if so we should much get, in that
3: side. I don't
0: yeah. even know if we should get into it. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'll just say this: I think that uh, it was Jesse David Fox. I think wrote about Dave Chappelle at Vulture.com, and I thought it was a great article. Uh, and And basically, the the headline of the article is "How seriously does Dave Chappelle want to be taken?" And yeah, I remember I, that one. It, it is a great piece because it, it reflects perfectly everything I felt while watching that piece, which is. How seriously does he want to be taken? Because, many times he seems to be wanting uh, wanting <clears throat> many times he seems to want to be taken extremely seriously. He'll go many many minutes in both sets without a single laugh. Uh, but other times it, he says stuff like what you just said, Jeff, which is like he's he's saying things because he wants to be funny. It might be the mean thing, it might not be uh, you know the most considerate thing, but uh, he wants to be funny. And and I think that there is this tension in these sets of him wanting to be taken seriously and him saying things that prevent him from being taken seriously. And uh, uh, I think it's a, it's a hard tension to really reconcile, and I don't think he successfully does it. So,
2: When you say be taken seriously, are you saying serious as an antithesis of
0: comedic? No, I, I mean serious. Like I think he wants to be a serious – Cultural commentator who uh, whose words are given kind of gravity, uh, and I, I just like, as evidenced by the vast stretches in both uh, both specials where there's no laughs and it's deadly serious. I just you know? don't
2: understand why it has to be one or the other.
0: Um, I, well, I think that if you want to be taken seriously as a cultural commentator, then you need to engage uh, seriously with let's say for starters people's critiques of uh of what you're saying and i don't feel like I, i mean to be fair the uh the bird revelation the second one you're talking about the more intimate one i think is he he definitely says things that are you know uh like uh questionable in that one but it is far less upsetting to me than than the other one um and we can go into that more in detail later but, yeah, I, I, I think there is a tension, and I think I, I do feel it when I watch his specials. Um, uh,
2: I, don't, I don't know if – I mean, I, I guess this is a longer discussion that you don't want to have right now, uh, it <laughs> seems to me. But um, I don't know if upsetting is, is the wrong – is an unintended feeling.
1: Yeah, but there's a difference between upsetting and what he's being accused of, which is essentially punching down it. At- Our
0: farm is a dairy farm. We only use organic feed. The cows produce, you know, quality organic milk. Yeah, all our hens are RSPCA-assured, free to roam in and out of the sheds throughout the day. They lay a lovely york.
2: The key to our beef cattle is looking after their their welfare, keeping them happy.
0: At McDonald's, we're proud to source quality ingredients from over 23,000 farmers from across the UK and Ireland. Good to know.
1: Yes. I haven't seen the special, so I'm not going to get into all that. But, like, I find it troubling when a comedian decides mm-hmm. to preface that, like, I'm just trying to be funny as if then it doesn't matter how what they say makes people feel besides yeah. laughing.
0: Yeah,
3: it's a free pass for, for right. whatever he wants. I, I've only seen the first one of these, and it's better than the last two of uh, the stuff he did last year. But it seems like if he really wants to be a cultural commentator, like, it seems like before Dave Chappelle used to be... You know, on the pulse of what's happening. It was like a great voice for that. And now it's like he disappeared for 10 years and the culture evolved in ways that he is still trying to catch up with. And that's what we're following now is his journey to figure that out, even though he may seem to it seems like he's even refusing to notice that. So, yeah, it's it's a weird journey.
0: I agree with Christie's assessment. I mean, even though Christie hasn't seen it, but it does feel very much. Uh, like punching down, and um, mm. sad to see. So it's an
2: interesting position it, it, that I'm in uh, because I have not seen the one that seems to be the one that you guys have the most problem with. I only have seen the intimate uh-huh. one, uh, okay. and and uh, I was quite taken with it. I I, mm-hmm. I just found it to be really um, provoke provo- thought provoking
0: for me yeah, and he, provocative he makes, in general. He makes good points in it, but yeah, it's. I was, I was very troubled. Uh, there, there's a lot of great material in these two specials, equanimity and the bird uh, revelation. And there's also a lot of really uh, shitty, mean-spirited material. That's how I'd describe it. So, uh, Okay. That's what Jeff Kanata's been watching. Christy Puchko, what have you been watching?
1: So I've been watching on Netflix The Polka King. Have you guys seen The Polka King?
2: No, no I'm, I'm very interested think. to but hear I what to you it. think of it. I've been, okay, I've so been interested to the watch, Polka
1: watch King. it. Is a biopic about a real guy who basically was like a big deal in Pennsylvania and in the Polish American community, uh, where he toured and was the leader of a polka band. Um, his name was was it's his name is La- Jan Le- Le- uh, Jan Levin, but p- people call him Jan Luan, and like he just doesn't correct them. So and when <laughs> someone asks him like, well, how do you pronounce your name? He's like, either's right, fine. But Jack Black stars as the Polka King, and it's a film from Maya Forbes who did that amazing movie called um, Infinitely Polar Bear a couple of years ago with Mark Ruffalo cool so this is her follow-up. None, of, none
0: of us have seen that unfortunately <laughs>
1: apparently not it's very good um you yeah, set us up for very... the for
0: the spike and we didn't go for it i'm sorry yeah that was
1: like mm-hmm. dead silence
3: great this is
1: going just awesome. like
0: a comedy set yes
1: yep nailed it <laughs> um dead air is always a great sign so anyway uh the polka king though it's this doc uh, this biopic pardon me about this guy who is from Poland. He comes to America. He, he's building his American dream. He has his beauty queen wife who in the movie is played by Jenny Slate perfectly. And, I grew up in Pennsylvania, though not the part of Pennsylvania this is set in. And watching it, I was cracking up because I recognized so much of the Polish culture because that existed where I grew up, too. So for me, it was really funny and kind of like visiting home. And I had never heard this story, and I love true crime, so I was really fascinated. But the more I watched it, the crazier the story got, where he's conning people. It's ultimately about him conning them into a Ponzi scheme. But along the way, there's a bunch of weird adventures about how he, like, decided that he would get people in to meet the Pope and then the weird back alley deals he needed to make happen to get that to actually be a thing and he like rigged a beauty contest allegedly and there's all this weird stuff going on and so watching it I was cracking up and I was like how much of this is real though or like how much of this is like we're playing with the facts and uh, so I wrote a piece for Pajiba about it and a lot of it like most of it's 100% what happened they play a little bit with the timeline because it's a film and let's cut the boring shit but Like, a lot, a lot, a lot of what happens is real. And even crazier stuff happened in real life. And if you go to pajiba.com and look for The Polka King, you'll find the article. We go into details. But it's, like, so interesting because apparently The Polka King is actually based on a documentary called The Man Who Would Be Polka King, which is also on Netflix and is also (laughs) amazing because they took like direct lines from interview subjects in that movie and put them in the mouths of characters in this movie. So like mm-hmm. when Jenny Slate's like, character describes her husband as an ethnic and with that voice, that's really a thing that his wife said. And it's just surreal because I watched these two things back to back and what's really fun is I recommend watching the Polka King first and then watching the documentary. It's a little shorter, but also the narrator in the documentary is doing his entire narration inside a local bar. It's the best.
3: Oh, man. I see Netflix's plan here, by the way. It's like, just do the documentary, right? And then, like, dramatize the documentary. You know, let's just keep milking the same subject over and over again.
1: And it's actually fascinating because they're a really fun double feature because, like, yes, you're getting more or less the same story, but you kind of get to watch the Hollywood version and then you get to see, like, what actually happened and it's actually not that different. I'm actually telling people that if you like Bernie, I think you'd like the Polka King, and not just Mm -hmm. because it's a Jack Black vehicle that's also about a real true crime case, but also because in both instances, you're confronted with a character who Jack Black's charisma is used specifically to make you feel conflicted about, because he's so charming, and you're like, oh shit, but you murdered someone, or in this case, you ripped off a shit ton of people. And like what he did is terrible, and we know that, but we also like him, so you want to try to create excuses for it. And it's a very interesting thing about you know, that makes you confront these kind of darker aspects of, like, we want to believe that bad people are are obvious and that good people are obvious and that, you know, we, we wouldn't like a bad person and we'd like a good person and, like, the film won't let you rest that comfortably with it. And so I thought that was really cool. I have, uh, on Pajiba, you can see I have a review of the Polka King, the movie, and I have a comparison between what really happened and what happens in the movie. I think it's super fun. I would recommend watching the Polka King, and then reading the article, if you're not going to watch the doc, but it's, it's a, an outstandingly weird and fun movie that I enjoyed a lot. And I've already watched twice. Cause it's just, the performances in it are great. Jason Schwartzman's in it too. And, uh, Jackie Weaver plays the mother-in-law who fucking hates Jan, which also IRL, she, he apparently had a mother-in-law who really hated him. Um, <laughs> It's really funny. It's I, I and it was interesting because the people who commented on the article on Pajiba are people who like grew up in the area and knew stuff. So some of them were like pointing out things about like, well, actually, also and stuff that's not necessarily in the doc, just local color or things that they wanted people to know about these people or this time and whatever. So it's been really interesting, and I I got a huge kick out of that. Um, and the other thing I'm watching on is also on Netflix. Um, the other day, Netflix suggests a lot of random stuff to me, and a lot of times I'm just like, I don't even know what this is. But I love a good British comedy series, and I have watched The Inbetweeners, I have watched Peep Show, I have watched Vicious. Like, if you can name it, I've probably watched it, which is infuriating, because I always want more, and then I, yeah. I've seen it. Um, but I am asking for suggestions, so don't worry about repeating. Just send me your suggestions for British comedy shows, because I love them. But this one is called The Windsors, and it's now on Netflix. It's insane. Um so it's basically a comedy soap opera about the royal family and I don't care about the royal family because I am an American um but <laughs> it's so absurd like basically it reimagines the American like the the royal family in a sense of just turning them all into these really ludicrous soap opera stereotypes so Harry is just a complete moron to the point where like he is actively illiterate in the show and at one point pippa middleton like brings him a book and she's like i brought you a book and it's a coloring book and he's super excited about it and like <laughs> he cannot pronounce her name He're like it's pippa but he's always like P-p-p-p. and it always sounds like he's like a, like about to throw up or he's sneezing or something it's my favorite Um, And like Prince Charles is obsessed with that he will be king next, like not not Wills, even though everyone loves Wills and Kate and him first. And Camilla is like constantly trying to murder Wills and Kate because she wants to just get them out of the way because everybody loves them and she hates them for it. And like Pippa Middleton is constantly trying to get with Harry. It is ludicrous. And I don't know much about the royal family. So it's super fun for me because I'm just like, I don't know how much of this is based on anything. But I don't care. It's very funny. And um, it's actually a, a relatively newest show. The most recent episodes aired over the summer. And they're already on Netflix. So uh, Donald Trump shows up in season two. Which... He's so accurately portrayed in season two that it makes me worry this is actually a documentary series.
3: <laughs> <laughs> in
1: which case, tough times, England. That's the uh, real
3: timeline, yeah.
1: Yeah, but it's it's a really funny, really, really bonkers show. Um, Fergie is represented in it along with her daughters, who are people I've never heard about before. Like, I know Fergie, but apparently she has two daughters who I guess like to party and go vacationing a lot, and so they turn them into kind of like the quintessential you know uh dippy rich girls who are constantly coming up with you know ideas that someone else has already come up with so it never works out but it's actually just really funny and silly and um honestly kind of sweet because ultimately no matter what the royals are doing wills and kate meaning uh prince william and and kate middleton uh are always trying to be genuinely good people and to and even though the show is constantly mocking the fact that the monarchy is an outdated concept according to the show i don't uk do what you want but uh according like even within that they're able to find such fun lighthearted, weird humor in it and kind of poking at all these uh you know sacred lambs and it's very very fun um and it's it's be you know it's an english tv show so you can watch all of it in like two nights because there's you know two seasons but it's like you know eight episodes or something
2: christy i take it that you have already seen toast of london
1: I started that, and I'm not into it. I, oh. I know you really liked it. I, I, It's just, I don't know. It threw me off. I like IT Crowd, and so I tried Toast to London, or your suggestion, yeah. and I just, I don't know. I might need to give it another try. But oh, my first attempt, so I was like, mm, I can't. I, I, I don't know.
2: I, the way you described the Windsors being so uh, weird and, and uh, ridiculous, I thought it would be... I'm gonna
1: make another attempt but it was like that was actually what I started I started that a week before this I was like no and then when I went back I was like let's try the Windsors and it was really just because the thumbnail image is Camilla scowling and it just the (laughs) image made me laugh and like the way they portray Camilla she's basically a Disney villain I fucking love it like (laughs) she's just constantly super manipulative and like (laughs) just super passive aggressive and always just like with the evil plans and the it's just I don't know. I, I don't think you need to know anything about the royal family because I sure, sure shit don't to find it really funny. But um, I wonder, I am really curious that if you actually know things about the royal family, like how much of this is like even ludicrously based on something. Cause I think like, because Kate Middleton was not, you know, an aristocrat, they like take it to the farthest end that it's not just that she's like a member of the public. Like they keep talking about how she's a gypsy, which is a weighted term. And I'm saying that only cause that's the word that they use. But it's, like, the idea of, like, they keep talking about she's like, well, it's fine. If if Will leaves me, I'll just go back to tarmacking driveways. And I'm like, what is going on in this? It's just, it's sensational. She accidentally <laughs> takes heroin at one point. This show's nuts. <laughs> All
0: right. That's The Windsors. And it's on Netflix right now. Before we get to our review, I also want to thank uh, the people who donated to the Slash Filmcast and helped make this podcast possible Really appreciate those donations, guys. Uh, It really does help us to pay for hosting costs and pay for the costs of putting on the show. Uh, And so the people I want to thank this week are Chance White for making a monstrous donation. Chance, thanks so much. Thanks also to Ruben Inga as well. Thanks to subscribers at the rate of $2 per month, Utkin, Buyukata, Guido Scarabello, and Ben Kane for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to support what we do here on the Slash Filmcast, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page, or go to PayPal.me Filmcast. It's PayPal.me slash Filmcast. Uh, and again, thanks to everyone for donating this week. We appreciate uh, all of you guys. Let's get to our review of Phantom Thread. You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. Secrets. Good morning. Will you have dinner with me? I've been looking for you for a very long time. You look beautiful. Very beautiful. I have things I want to do. Things I simply cannot do without you. Reynolds has made my dreams come true, and I have given
2: him what he desires most in return. (laughs) Every piece of me.
0: from the trailer of Phantom Thread, the newest film written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Set in 1950s London, Reynolds Woodcock is a renowned dressmaker whose fastidious life is disrupted by a young, strong-willed woman, Alma, who becomes his muse and lover. Uh, and this movie stars Vicky Creeps, I want to say. Creeps as Alma. Creeps. Uh, Crepes, Daniel Day-Lewis as Reynolds Woodcock, and Leslie Manville, who plays Reynolds' sister, Cyril. Uh, And it was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Actor, Best Director, and Best Picture. Uh, So I think it has a really good chance of taking home some prizes. Uh, But Christy Puchko, what do you think of Phantom Thread? you a fan of this film?
1: I I am not. (gasps) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I thought I, I was really... depending on you starting with someone else. I feel like it's better if someone who... No, like genuinely, I think it's better if one of you guys who liked the film starts talking about it, and then I can talk about my criticism, because my criticism, uh, I think, could use some context. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, Devendra, let's go to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh... Hmm. Uh, No, I I love this.
1: Set him up so I can knock you down, Devendra. Let's do
3: this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm
3: good at that, actually. Um, I love this film. I just want to say that... Um, You know, I talked about it a bit before on the show. And since then, I've gone back and rewatched it uh, with my wife. It it is a very lovely film to watch with your significant other. I think, uh, you know, it is it's a gorgeous film. I love the texture of it. But what I think is really fascinating is the way it kind of deals with this relationship and this power struggle within this relationship between, like, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is very, very, like, um, You know, very fastidious, very like put together guy who has to have everything his way. And a woman who is fighting to have a place in this life that is very put together. And the way they manage that, I think, um, you know, yeah, on the surface, in terms of what happens in the film, it gets a little kooky. Uh, I kind of love that. But even taken metaphorically, too, like it feels like it's about the push and pull of what you need to take and give in a relationship to really to survive. You can't be in a relationship with somebody else if you live your life one way. And that's my ultimate takeaway from the film. But overall, I just love the journey of it. Uh, looks amazing. That score is incredible. Um, I saw this in 70mm the first time. Uh, and yeah, the, the cinematography and everything... Um, I think it's just fascinating. Um, for me, it feels like a great follow-up to um, Inherent Vice, which I also loved. And I, I remember you guys didn't like it as much. Um, but both films also deal with the idea of maybe doomed romance or how to kind of how to coexist in a relationship, especially when people have different expectations about you know wh- wh- what it takes to be in one. Uh, I, I just find it really funny. He went from a really kooky... Uh, weed you know like a really it's basically like a weeded out detective story to the most like uptight english like a snobby thing in the world and even by doing that jump he finds like there there is feels like there's a bit of connection there so i loved all of it i cannot wait to hear what you think though christy at some point
0: uh so the music was written by johnny greenwood i thought the score was incredible it's just so good Absolutely Man. amazing. Ridiculously good. Ridiculously yeah. good score, yeah. Uh, and we should say also Paul Thomas Anderson served as his own director of photography for this film. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, it, and it, the movie looks amazing. Uh, I think you had it on your top ten, Devendra, as well as yeah. you, right, Jeff Kanata? I think it was number four for me in wow. my top th- way th- up
2: remember. there, yeah. 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 Tell it, us about it, why I, you loved it so much. I mean, there was a time it flirted with number one for me of the year. I I really adored watching this movie. Um, The performances, you just sort of fall into them. And this is a movie that's not short, but I didn't want it to end. I just wanted to sort of be with those people all the time. I just kind of was so fascinated by the inner workings of this world, a world I absolutely know nothing about. And if you had asked me beforehand, yeah, wouldn't have been interested in. I wouldn't have said, "Oh man, I'm so fascinated about by couture houses of the 1950s," you know. But that's it, this vision into this world that that I just had no idea about, and is is so interesting. Um, it is <sighs> such a shame that this is supposedly Daniel Day Lewis's final performance, mm. uh, because I mean, people throw around that cliche of you know, I could watch him read the phone book, you know, it would be interesting. I think with The End of Day-Lewis, it actually would be interesting, but he would, like, spend years of his life, you know, <laughs> understanding what a phone book is, you know, and yeah. all that stuff. Uh, it, he is so watchable and just every little mannerism, every little thing, the fact that he Reportedly, actually learned how to make dresses. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, you watch every detail of what he does and how he moves, and it is all purposeful. It is all just, just exquisite. Um, but he is by far, he's he's far from being the the you know only person to watch in this movie. Uh, Vicky Krieps and uh, Leslie Manfield are both his worthy. Rivals, and this really is a three-hander. I mean, it really it, it, it is almost a play in how it's uh, so minimalistic and we just kind of focus on these these characters and they're butting up against them. They're changing allegiances and power uh, struggles a- amongst the three of them. Ah, man, I really love this movie. As you said, Devendra, beautifully shot. Um, it, it, the score is really unbelievably good. And, uh yeah, yeah, it, it has a shocking ending that I think we'll be, have a fun time talking about. But yeah, uh, overall, just just a, a movie that is cinematic on every level and uh, a, a real work of art, in my opinion.
3: I like how it starts out as a film that feels very very proper and put together and ends up being delightfully twisted. And it's, it's all yeah. part of what's great.
0: Uh, I'll just say a couple quick words before we turn it over to Christy. I mean, uh, I did not like the movie quite as much as you guys. Uh, I, I agree with a lot of what you've said, though, that uh, this is an amazing performance by Daniel Day-Lewis. I, I was so... Uh, gripped by this movie that I went back and watched There Will Be Blood and The Master just to kind of take in all the P.T. Anderson I could in the Mm -hmm. last few days Um, uh, because yeah I mean his movies are incredible many of them were nominated for Best Picture he he is one of the greatest directorial talents of our time as well as Daniel Day-Lewis and I think Daniel Day-Lewis he captures the act of becoming the person that he's supposed to be in the movie in a way that very few uh, actors can do I was reading the Bilge Ibiri piece on him called Searching for Daniel Day-Lewis, where Bilge writes, For the boxer, Daniel Day-Lewis really learned how to box, wound up with a broken nose and a bad back, uh, and made sure to keep his distance from uh, Emily Watson, who played his long-separated girlfriend. Years earlier, for The Last of the Mohicans, Daniel Day-Lewis lived in the wilderness and built canoes and captured, skinned, (laughs) and ate wild animals." Before oh, that, man. on my left foot, about the life of a writer with severe cerebral palsy, he remained in a wheelchair throughout production with crew members having to feed and carry him. Uh, Why do you work like that, Watson says, she asked him. Well, Day-Lewis replied, I don't think I'm a good enough actor to be able to not do it this way. Uh, which shows his, his uh, characteristic modesty, uh, but also uh, just shows how committed he is to portraying the characters uh, that he takes on. Uh, it is... I, yeah. I am not given given to
2: self indulgent bullshit. And I think <laughs> unfortunately the fact that he is so brilliant on screen encourages self-indulgent bullshit for lesser artists. Mm-hmm. And it's an unfortunate because I don't like endorsing self indulgent bullshit.
1: Yeah, um, we talked about this a little bit before. Yeah. When you were talking oh, I remember when Jeff and I were talking about that documentary about Jim Carrey.
2: Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Uh but it's hard to argue with the results in this particular case, as you've been saying, Dave.
0: I mean, just compare his performance in "There Will Be Blood" to his performance here. It, it unrecognizable, unrecognizable. Like it's if the skull structure was not the same, I would not believe it's the same. <laughs> Actor playing these characters. I
3: I, I like how that is. That that feels (laughs) like a uh, I I don't know, flirting maneuver for you, Dave. Like I I really love your skull structure. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes. Well, well. Also, you know, Daniel day Lewis can make uh, flirting work in ways that I cannot. For instance, when I tell a first date that I've sewn my mother's hair into my clothes, it generally (laughs) doesn't go. Weird. Yeah. But when but when Reynolds Woodcock does it, 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 it. it's charming. I don't come on because. That's only because you didn't
2: remove the hair from your mother first. Mm,
0: mm. (laughs) True enough. enough. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) brilliant, brilliant performance and uh, definitely a very interesting look at the life of an artist uh, and all the compromises and uh, pain that that entails. Um, And some really, really striking visuals. Great performance all around. Uh, But I have some problems with it that I can't get into until we get to spoilers. Uh, So I'm going to turn it over to Christy and see what you thought about it, Christy.
1: Okay, so um, I don't like this movie. Um, I I have sat and realized that I tend to think that his movies are well made, but not my thing. Mm -hmm. But this one I actually have an issue with in that I understand, and I'll get into this more when we get into spoilers, but I'm just going to dip a toe in without getting into spoilers. I understand the argument about how this is... A, uh, an idea of, like, you know, the compromise involved in a relationship and what happens when two strong-headed headed people, like, you know, become involved in a relationship, and I get all that. But the film inherently undercuts its female lead because the character that is supposed to be the muse and the girlfriend and all those things, we know virtually nothing about her other than that she's obsessed with him. Like, we meet her when he first notices her, which I don't necessarily have a problem with because it's a romance. But then even from that point... It's always about what he wants, what he needs, what whatever. And, like, all she wants is him. So we don't even know if she has a family or friends or has any interests outside of Woodcock. And I just got really frustrated with that because when I hear people talking about how, like, oh, and this is, like, he's really met his match and stuff, I'm like, well, but at any minute, he could dump her and cast her aside, and she's a nobody again. Right, like, right. he has... There's a complete power imbalance. At the film... Attempts to deal with, but I feel like in a really facile way, because it totally ignores it. I think I do think that that T.T. Anderson is attempting to approach the trope, not only of the problematic artist who is abusive, but also of the May-December romance, as we call it. Which, like, let's get serious. Like, the main characters in this are, like, 60 and 30. So this is more than May-December. Like, let's get over ourselves. <laughs> but like, It's we're May used
2: to- next December. <laughs> right.
1: Well, like, we're so used to seeing that, though, right? So it's just, like, you're not even supposed to blink at that. And I know that he's they're trying to have fun with that sense of dynamic and, like, the satire of it. And it gets pushed to the dark, twisted place that we'll talk about in spoilers. However it doesn't matter because the whole thing is ultimately about Woodcock. We got an email from someone who brought up the Bechdel test, and I props to them. I brought that up in my review too because, you know, I don't think that you should look at the Bechdel test as a way to judge a movie in, like, mm-hmm. as far as quality. But this is a film where Daniel Day-Lewis is surrounded by female characters. Most of them do not get names. Most of them do not get more than, like, a couple of lines. And beyond that, they don't matter unless it's about how they impact his life. And so it's like, I honestly don't know if this movie passes the Bechdel test, even though it has more than two characters. I don't know if any of them at any point discuss something that is not about him.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and and that that's kind of and, and, yeah. So you know, w- with regards to Bechdel test, I think like just because it passes uh, doesn't mean it's a great film. But if it doesn't pass, then it does it does potentially hint that there is a, a an issue with the movie in terms of gender representation. And you're saying it's a tool. It is a yeah, tool It's to a discuss tool. Cinema. That's right. It, it is like, not you a. Know, for
1: instance, Fight Club doesn't pass the Bechdel test, but I don't think that matters because right. Fight Club is about toxic masculinity, so it doesn't need to pass the Bechdel test. Right. But the Bechdel test is just trying to get you to understand how women are represented in a given film. And Mm. women are throughout this film, yet they are effectively just treated as like ways to affect the main character, Mm. who is a man. And it's just very frustrating. And he's so dismissive. And I think that you're supposed to laugh at the ways he's dismissive of women, but early on, there's a speech he gives about Uh, Women and their silly marriage superstitions. And I thought that was really kind of gross and offensive. And people in my theater are chuckling over and thinking it's hilarious. But it's like the 1950s. And he's like laughing about these superstitions women have that if they work on a wedding dress, they won't get married themselves. And I thought, but like so much of a woman's, you know, future at that point depended on who she could marry. It's not funny to women to make fun of that because like you might think it's stupid, but like if me not sewing a wedding dress means I have even an inkling more of a shot of actually getting like a husband and a livelihood. Why, you know, I just thought it was really, it's like, I think you're supposed to to laugh at kind of him being an asshole, but I also think that it never really addresses the power dynamic in, in a fair way. And so it's like poking fun at this as if this is something we're not dealing with, but it's like literally we're in the moment of me too, where Harvey Weinstein horribly abused his power and used exactly this dynamic where he was a rich, powerful older man who could bully people to do whatever the fuck he wanted or, or, you know, could just abuse his power flat out. Forget the bullying just could be, you know, a monster. And because he was talented and because he was powerful for so long, we ignored it. So I find it really uncomfortable that in this moment, this is the film that's coming out. That's trying to kind of make light of that dynamic and trying to make it kind of whimsical and funny. And like, I'm not saying that you can't make jokes about dark things, but I think the way this movie does it, it really just got under my skin.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, well, I, I think I, I think there's a lot more to discuss and we really should move into spoilers now because yeah, uh, if we otherwise anything, we're not going to have any time. Spoiled. Yeah. yeah. So let's move into spoilers starting right now for Phantom Thread. Now you're looking for the secret. Can to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because of course. You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it you don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box?
2: I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret name. You
0: want to be fooled. Guys, this week I watched a movie that was written and directed by a modern artur, which is about an artist that is extremely particular about how he likes to work, even when it completely disrupts and messes up the life of his significant other. And towards the last third of the movie, things really start to descend into madness in a crazy way. But enough about Mother, guys.
2: Oh, yeah right. boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> I'll,
0: give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> Phantom... I mean, yeah, th- these movies are both about... Artists and and how difficult they can be and and how the women that are in their lives are just kind of tossed and you know tossed like along these waves um, in a way that uh, as Christy points out can make them feel more like accessories than uh, main characters that have their own influence over the destiny. But um, I, I'd also
3: say like in both films, the real story is, is how the women really demand their place right. in in their lives and in this world. Like it's to me like Christy like halfway through this film, I definitely had the sense that oh yeah, this is another movie about this like male genius who thinks he's so smart, right? And he's just like, he's he gets to be an asshole by, by virtue of being a genius and because everybody loves his work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at a certain point I realized, well, it is kind of, it feels like it's starting to turn the tables a bit on him. And I think I Alma think is a, a really... Well, to me, she's just a really fascinating character. Like, I agree, it's it's a problem if we don't have a sense of who she is outside of this relationship and outside of him, right? We don't know what her family is. We don't even know the country she came from. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found really fascinating about her character is that she, even from the beginning, like, she is fascinated with this guy. But you look at that scene where, you know, during their first date, he puts her up on a pedestal and he starts measuring her for a dress. And she's like kind of uh, feel like she's kind of taken with it for a while.
1: Because she uh, thinks he's going to correct her. She says that in the voiceover. (laughs) He'll fix the things about her that are wrong.
0: Right, right, right. Yet again, you you know, like, for some reason, when I go on a first date and put someone on (laughs) a pedestal, start measuring them it doesn't yeah. bring Go in well, your guys. sister to doesn't,
1: criticize their breasts yeah it doesn't that's work. not cool that whole
0: <laughs> i feel like we could we could write books
3: just about that scene the dynamics of that scene but it starts from being something that's kind of romantic to her and maybe mm-hmm. something where like oh yeah the, there's something in me to be fixed where she you know he starts criticizing her in ways that makes her feel bad right where he at some point he's like oh you, you don't really have breasts do you that's actually
1: she, she says yeah. that Si- mm-hmm. Cyril says that because it starts with like Cyril being critical of her, mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. which I
1: think is kind of like it allows her to kind of dust Does that she? As a red I'm pretty. Flag. I'm yeah. pretty
3: sure that was Woodcock.
0: That's it's that been was the thing. I've
1: seen this, but I do remember Cyril commenting on the breast because I thought like that mm. was
0: she commented on the breast kind of and, like, and red the red flag,
1: and... girl, red flag. Yeah, He's like, and... oh, also mm-hmm. here's my sister. She's going to talk about your tits. Right, right,
0: right, and the belly too. She commented on the belly. I yeah, she so commented on the belly, but I'm pretty. She says,
1: no breasts and small belly. That's how he likes them.
0: Yes, she Mm -hmm.
3: says that. But at one point, he does say, Does he say that? No, he says, even before she says that, though, he says, You don't really have breasts, do you? Oh, yeah. And she kind of blinks. She kind of blinks. And she's like, Oh, well, I, I guess not. And I feel like that there is that moment where this becomes a fun thing, like turns from being a fun thing into being, well, this this kind of sucks. This is making yeah, me feel bad. Being and made
1: this, an object. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. This is the entire dynamic of that relationship. And I do feel like there she she kind of like blinks out of like the dreaminess of their first date and everything. She's like, oh, man, he does kind of make me feel bad. And the entire movie is about that journey of her like she loves him, but he treats her like shit. And she's trying to find a way, like, she kind of, I think at at a fundamental level, I believe she does love him. But it's sort of like she also cannot stand the way he treats her and she demands her respect and her place in his life. Uh, There's that scene later on where, you know, after the first time she poisons him, um, after that first time, like, the doctor comes and he calls her Mrs. Woodcock and she doesn't correct him. And it's all about her basically demanding her place and i found that right. really fascinating and really interesting uh because like you're saying he could dismiss her at any point at one point he goes to cyril and he's crying to cyril it's like oh there's a sense of death in this house and uh, she's ruining everything and mm-hmm. she just stands there and it's like no cyril this thing's done i think that their relationship and the way she grows a backbone and basically the way she learns to manage his basic infantile attitude mm-hmm. um you know i found I found to be kind of empowering and kind of interesting, but I could certainly see it. I think that's what's attempted.
1: I don't think that, I don't think that he set out to, you know, make a hashtag problematic movie. I think that PT Anderson was trying to make a commentary on, like, aren't these infantile men ludicrous? But then also you cast Daniel Day-Lewis. So it's like, it's again, it's like the Jack Black and Polka King thing, where you cast someone who is so goddamn charismatic, it doesn't matter what you have him do. The audience is going to be on his side, right? It's kind of an unfair advantage, especially when, as the Alma character, you cast somebody nobody knows. And she's getting great reviews. But also... He's the one that's face is gigantic on all the posters. She effectively comes off as a prop. When I saw the movie, I was surprised she was even a character because everything I had seen just seemed to be like Daniel Day-Lewis. But the (laughs) thing that I take issue with is that people want to talk about how, and I get it, that she's like, she's not only clawing for her place in this relationship but inspiring Cyril to fight for her own agency to a degree, Right. right? But. The final thing is that basically she knowingly, she poisons him again and he knowingly accepts. He still has the power. Mm -hmm. He's still choosing to be dominated by her. There's Mm -hmm. no change in that dynamic. He's just allowing himself this dark thing as like a concession to her.
3: There's a certain amount of trust in there, though, that, well, don't kill me.
1: But if you're talking
3: about
1: about this power structure where it is a world that is in theory like fashion, right? Fashion is for women in theory, right? But it's a male-dominated field. It's a field where men dress women, when men decide how women should look, which causes all kinds of chaos on like the female self esteem, let me tell you. And so this is an interesting thing to take on. And if you're going to talk about this, then you know you're talking about the patriarchy. Like P.T. Anderson's too smart a guy not to realize right. what he's commenting on. But I don't think, I think he has a major blind spot in what the movie's actually saying because I do think that he, like what, a lot of the stuff I'm reading and what you're saying is what he intended that pe- people see this girl who's plucked from nothing. Clawing her way into respectability, clawing her way for what she wants, fighting for. And it's supposed to be kind of inspiring and weird and dark because when he won't play nice with her, she plays mean back, right? And isn't that interesting? And what are we, whatever. Like, I feel like there's supposed to be a commentary that's supposed to be, if not feminist, then at least progressive. But I don't think it's as either of those things as it attempts to be because inherently he still has all the power in the end. He is choosing to eat the poisoned mushrooms. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not. Um, the beguiled it's not that he has been upended by his own arrogance he knows what he's doing
3: right he does know what he's doing but I think at that point that acceptance like that submissiveness is certainly a thing where it's like well I am literally putting my life in your hands now and he like he kind of knows where this goes and this could end up very badly for him but I think the way he accepts it is really fascinating because at the beginning of the movie, this is a guy who won't accept bread being toasted too loudly.
0: Right. Uh, and, so, yeah. on, on that note, I, I want to respond to that. Many, many thoughts to to what you have said. Um, I agree more with Christy than I agree with you guys in, in your assessment of this movie. And Christy, one of the reasons I, I wasn't a fan of this movie as much as I wanted to be uh, is because I didn't think it had the courage of its convictions. And what no. I mean by that is... I think that based on everything I had seen in this movie, uh, this relationship should have ended terribly, you know, Uh, (laughs) that it it, like that uh, Reynolds Woodcock's ways should have led to the unraveling of this relationship and been tragic and painful. And um, this movie has a pretty big. Uh, mountain that it's asking you to climb, which is that moment when uh, Reynolds bites down on the mushrooms right at the <laughs> end. It's a very like a lot of like yeah. there's a meaty sound sure, when he get bites up down the on to the Foley work
3: in this film, by the way. Like just
0: yeah, everything great, that great that sound. bite also. Um, and uh, and I, I get what the movie's trying to do. It actually reminded me of this story called "Who Am I This Time" by Kurt Vonnegut. I don't know if you guys have read this short story. Mm-hmm, yeah, uh, it was in Welcome to the Monkey House, and it's about these two. Uh, actors a male and a female who uh, f- like fall in love and get married but they they don't have passion for each other or they aren't able to communicate their passion for each other outside of playing roles in place so like at the, the you know the end of the short story is like they they're like in a play and they're kind of like reading lines and and their passion is real but they can't communicate outside and I remember in high school reading the story and the teacher asking like uh, Miss Amendé my English teacher asking like is this a happy ending or is this a sad ending and it could easily be interpreted as either. Uh, and I think that's true of this movie as well. Like, is this a happier ending or a sad ending? Is it, is it happy that they've been able to find some kind of equilibrium, or is it sad that this equilibrium can only come when. She is literally poisoning him and he is right. weak and vulnerable and that brings out a side of him that she likes and that uh, it seems he likes. Where I jumped off the train of this movie is I just didn't believe that he would actually subject himself to that. I just thought – like the character that I had seen would not allow himself to be inhibited in that way. I listened to Paul Thomas Anderson interview with Fresh Air and he was saying how um, – it, you know, he was inspired to make this movie because one day he was super sick and his uh, partner, Maya Rudolph, looked at him with so much compassion and he was thinking of like people, there's like workaholics and there's workaholics who are like, mm-hmm. oh man, like if, if only I could be sick, you know, if I could get into a car accident that could incapacitate me for a couple weeks, uh, that would be so great uh, because then I <laughs> then I would not need to work 70 hours a week. But you know what? I don't think those people really mean it. Like when, when people like that say stuff, you know, I know people in my office who work 70 hours a week. And I think they might say and joke around that like, oh, I would love being sick so I wouldn't have to work. But I don't think they actually feel that way, and this movie posits: what if they actually felt that way? And I didn't believe it. So I, I don't know. Oh. If that's the takeaway from the movie, though. <laughs> no, I'm that, sure there's a separate story. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 mean, I mean, I
1: didn't take issue with that aspect because it's a mm-hmm. very heightened situation, and and just because they have a bad dynamic, I'm not asking for like you know a PSA ending that's like she should walk out on him. But what I'm saying right, is right. just <laughs> that like the female character is so undercut by the fact that she doesn't have a background, that she doesn't actually have any, like, she has chutzpah, she doesn't have agency, she has no power in this relationship. Like, she only has the power he's willing to grant her. So in the end, to act like, you know, like, yeah, he's allowed her the little, like a little bit of power, and I get the argument about trust and everything, but it's still something where, like, he's choosing. Like, he could choose to eat one bite of that and be done. He could eat the whole thing. Like, it's still completely in his hands and his choice.
2: But he didn't and so, choose it the first time.
1: He yeah, didn't he did. choose it the first time, and,
2: no. And, and, and I think that that's the key that you leave out of the narrative here is that she asserted herself the first time and she changed the parameters of their relationship and he was forced to accept that. And he did. And he then now is dealing with her on a level that seeds power to her and says, you know what, you... Bested me, and I'm going to submit to you now. And he is it, definitely choosing, but what he's choosing mm-hmm. is to submit, not to just, not to just. Um...
1: But it also doesn't incite that there's going to be any kind of substantial change in their relationship. It incites it basically incites that like occasionally he'll let her poison him so that they can mm-hmm. have some nice time together, like they can have quality time. I don't know. It's I a fucked f- up
0: relationship. Know. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's not great. Like no,
1: no. I'm not denouncing that. Like I, it's absolutely a fucked up relationship. I'm aware of that. I just. I don't think I don't it have... is as
2: one-sided as <laughs> you are painting it, though. I, I I I totally see your points, and I I think that a lot of it is problematic in that respect. But I think the point of the movie, the way I took it, was that it was attempting to subvert all the things you are saying. It was. I agree. Attempting...
1: I think it fails.
3: Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I fair enough. And, it, oh, it,
2: yeah. It... sorry,
0: Jeff. You, go ahead. You haven't had a chance. to
2: No, talk I think that's no. a perfectly valid uh, feeling about. You, you think it failed. I just, I, it worked for me because I, I came away feeling like she won and was, and absolutely asserted her power. The other thing I would take issue about, you said it uh, a while ago before the, um, the, uh, spoiler section is that you said, you know, he could just move on and she would go back to being a nobody. I don't think she cares about being a somebody or a nobody. And that's I think not really that's a
1: point though. I'm talking about the power dynamic.
2: No, I am too. I was making a separate point um because you had mentioned the fact that oh he you know he he granted her this this being a somebody and if he left she would go back to being a nobody. And I I don't think she cares about that. And I think that's one of the cool things about her as a character is that she doesn't it, she's not about that particular thing. And I one of the things I liked about her and I think you made great points about not knowing enough about her perhaps, but um, I well, do Well, I'm think... curious
1: though, outside of that we know, outside of him, what do we know about her?
2: Um, oh, man, it's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen this yeah.
3: movie. Well, I mean, I seriously, mean, a question we... to the
1: three of you, because when yeah. I wrote my review, I tried to think about that, and that's what really started driving me crazy, mm-hmm. was that like we only meet her as a waitress because he's flirting with her. We mm-hmm. never see anything about her past life, at their at, like when they finally get married, she technically has a woman standing next to her, so maybe she has a friend, but we never see them have a conversation. I think that was
3: somebody from the house. Yeah,
0: like just a mean, like, from the house. Yeah,
1: it's just it's not even an afterthought to give yeah. her a life outside of him. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't look, look, look at me,
0: Chrissy. I I agree with all your criticisms, and by the way, I I wasn't trying to say that we have the same criticisms. I was saying. I agree with your criticisms, and I add to them my own, which are very different than yours. (laughs) Well,
3: (laughs) I I also think, like, you you can still agree with Christine also, wonder, like, did the movie tell us anything about her, Dave? Like, this feels like an out. And I think the movie does give (laughs) us a little bit, okay? Because, like, just from the sense of it, like, from the beginning, what do we get from her? She has an accent that is not... Of like it is vaguely European, right? It's a bit of like a the mm-hmm. Tommy wiso thing, like just vaguely Eastern European or something. So she's from New um,
1: Orleans, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah she's from New Orleans.
3: <laughs> she's just from somewhere else, and I think the fact that I certainly gathered, like from the fact that we didn't see any family um or really only close friends with her, that she is kind of just alone there, and we don't know what she's doing uh, in that particular corner of England, but, uh, you know, she is there and she's alone. And to me, this felt like something like a connection that she didn't have. And that's all I have. Right. She, the movie doesn't give us her background. It doesn't give us her, like what led her to England? Like, even why is she that was what like a stretch
0: that even that was a stretch to what You just said, it's a stretch. I mean, yeah, I was it's like, stretch. I mean,
3: I can see.
1: Yeah. Like, but I can read see the movie that, again... guys. Read
3: the movie. <laughs> yeah. She didn't but, grow like, up there.
1: I like, can totally, Those are good arguments, but it's, like, those are things that I feel like you really have to search for, and they're not, they're not concrete. Like, if someone gave, like, that's, that's totally, it's an interesting argument. Sure. But it's, like, the films, that's really you having to scour for it. And that's kind of my problem, is that, like, if you want to make a movie about a couple, then give me two full-form characters. And I think that he gave us one Mm -hmm. And then gave us an appendage who gets to kind of it's I mean, she's effectively like any horror movie where like the arm that someone stitches onto their body, like becomes self-aware. I mean,
3: it it depends (laughs) on what you're expecting from the movie, though. Like, here's the here's the thing. Like, I totally agree. Like, if this is going to be a movie about like, oh, man, this is what a true relationship is like and a balanced relationship and everybody gets what they want. um, You know, yes, let's let's see more of her. Let's see everything. To me, this movie is about the deconstruction of an asshole. And that's that's it. the the entire the the world. Well, then of this she should be
1: treated as if she's the protagonist for so much of the movie.
3: I I don't know if she is. I do, I don't think she's treated as the protagonist. Like we start with Daniel Day Lewis. We end with Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, like most of the movie is. He seems a uh, we, bo- we, yeah.
0: I don't think we start with Daniel Day Lewis. Right. Um, All right. Pretty sure it's her voiceover, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's okay.
3: Yeah. You guys can read that however you want, but mm-hmm. you're. I'm I'm telling you what is in the movie, and you're saying he's the biggest character in the poster, and. This movie is about this towering figure, this person who somebody will come up to in a restaurant and be like, I want to be fucking buried in your dress. Mm -hmm. That is the kind of towering persona he is. And to me, it's more about how you deconstruct that. Like, how do you get into that? How do you make, you know, maybe make that person realize that there is more than himself in his vision of the world? And to me, like what really was fascinating was the moments where he not where he was just weak and where she poisoned him and everything and outside of his initial infatuation with her. But with the moments where she showed him something that he's never seen before. So I love that scene where they go and get the dress back from that drunk woman. And mm-hmm. she asserts himself, right? She, she basically demands, like, what are you doing? We can't just let this recipe be here. And she basically it tells him, like, let's go get the dress. And then they go do it together. And they have that sweeping romantic kiss uh, because she asserted the house of Woodcock, right? Like, she, mm-hmm. she made a demand and showed, like, how much she cared about it. And to me, the whole final sequence where he's eating the omelet, uh, which sounds ridiculous now that I'm talking <laughs> about. I tell you this movie. But to me, it's more like, well... Okay. I've never seen somebody go this far to be with me. And to me he feels like yeah, he is a, he's a fucking brat. He is a spoiled brat who's used to having the world entirely his way and this is somebody who's saying no. I'm not going to leave you. I'm maybe going to push you harder. Than you've ever been pushed in your life, uh, but unlike the mother that you can't stop thinking about and who haunts your, you know, your your dreams and your life, uh, I'm not going away. And to me, like that, that felt like the ultimate reading to me. Like he's accepting that because, first of all, she showed him something new. Like somebody has never gone this far to demonstrate their love for him, which is mm-hmm. definitely one sided and fucked up. But to me, that's the story this movie is trying to tell. That's all, and I appreciate the Alma character in doing something like that, like certainly we've never really seen, uh, I don't know, like where this movie goes feels like it's something you'd expect in like, uh, I don't know, like almost like a Takashi Miike film or something, right? It's, it's a little crazy. And the fact that she goes there, she surprised me as an audience member and the way she surprised this spoiled brat uh, to maybe accept and accept the fact that he can be loved. uh, I found fascinating. That's all. And I I totally agree, Christy. It is not a film about the equal place of their relationship. And it's not about two people in a relationship. It's about one person trying to slap a spoiled brat uh, into waking up and realizing there's more to the world than what he sees.
0: Well, I think that was a passionate defense of the movie. Really well said, Devendra. But uh, yeah, Christy, I think your points are great. And I, I really side with you on this one. Uh, I think there are some real issues with the film. Uh, but I think we should leave it there because we are way over time already, anyway, guys. <laughs> um, so that's our review of Phantom Thread. Find more episodes of this podcast at slash filmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from dot Uh our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Sometimes we do the slash film court, that comes from SimonMharris.com, that bumper music. And our sponsors this week were HelloFresh and RX Bar. Thanks to them so much. Uh, stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Christy, where can people find more of your work on the internet?
1: Uh, I write all over the place. Uh, I write daily at Pajiba, but if you want to see kind of a collection of the highlights of what I'm doing, go to DeccanCriminals.com. It's just kind of where I put all my odds and ends. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Christy Puchko, K R I S T Y P U C H K O.
0: Devendra Hardware. Oh, you can
3: find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, anywhere about tech and How about you, Jeff?
2: I'm on Twitter at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have uh, several other shows, including two video game shows, a daily video game show. Just 10 minutes a day keeps you up to date. It's called Newest, Latest, Best. You can find that at anchor.fm slash NLB. I have a weekly video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5 x 5tv slash DLC. And I have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com.
0: Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net. Find me on Twitter at DaveChenSky. That's DaveChenSKY. Okay, guys. January, February, not very many (laughs) good movies coming out during these months. Uh, I think really the next big event is going to be Black Panther, which comes out on February 16th. So before that, we're just filling in uh, some old stuff that we uh, didn't have a chance to give full reviews to. Next week, we'll be discussing Call Me By Your Name, the Sony Pictures Classic right. movie, nominated for Best Picture. Uh, look forward to that discussion, even though I may not be around next week. <laughs> but looking forward to you guys having that discussion in my absence. Uh, in any case, thanks for listening to the Slash the official podcast of Slash com. We'll see you later.
2: Watch the